Damo, you big sweet tooth. Yes, MP, you chocoholic. So naughty but nice, we're a hit at the Wellness Summit and I want more. Well, how does 20 recipes in their free ebook Heavenly Healthy Desserts sound, MP? Jeepers, Damo, I'm loving that. Or you can hop on down to their brand new cafe, Selection Cafe in South Melbourne and receive 10% off your favourite healthy desserts. Woohoo! To do so, go to sonaughtybutnice.com forward slash couch and fill in your details to receive your free ebook and discount voucher. That's www.sonaughtybutnice.com forward slash couch. So naughty but nice, delicious nutrition. Thewellnesscouch.com streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith, and I'm the founder of Speakers Fast Track and Mindset Mastery. Hi guys, I'm Kim Morrison and I am the creative director and founder of 28 Organic and Chemical Free Skincare and Essential Oils. And I'm Cindy O'Meara and I am a nutritionist of 31 years and founder of Changing Habits. Yoohoo! We're awesome, <laughs> just saying. Just saying. <laughs> and we've got, we've got one of the most awesome source men on today's show with us. I met um, Josh for the first time this morning at a breakfast with some friends of ours and Cindy was there and decided that we really need to talk to Josh. So we've got a fellow by the name of Josh Bond. Now he is the founder of Sun Life International and we're going to tell you guys how you can find him and follow him. But I think today's show is about to light up each one of our lives in the most profound way when you hear what this young man is doing and the transformation and the difference that he's creating worldwide is incredible that one man can make such a massive difference and I just hope and I just pray that everybody listening to today's show sees a little bit of themselves in Josh and starts to see that one person can create a massive ripple effect if you're willing to step outside of the skin you're in and I guess just really open your eyes as to how you can contribute and respond in a way that makes the world a better place. Josh, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be on here. So, Josh, I think it's important also that um, you, to note that your wife, Felicity, is a big part of what the two of you do. You're both co-founders of Sun Life International and and I know that your wife's pregnant and she's having a nap and um, I'm sad that we can't talk to her too. But I think it's important that you're a, an amazing husband and wife team. And um, so I just needed to add that to um, if that's okay with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's key. So, yeah, um, if she was on here, she'd definitely put me to shame. So it's probably a good thing for my sake that we're not both speaking. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, that looks wonderful. Like I was, I was talking with you um, this morning, and um, I was a bit mesmerised by um, number one, your youth. I, I don't know how old you are, but you looked seventeen. Um, <laughs> but I just, I just was empowered by the two of you, both you and Felicity, and and what you have organised and done and what you've created. And what I'd love you to start with is, could you explain? to our wonderful listeners exactly what Sun um, Life International is. Mm, yeah. 
Um, I mean, really, in a short sentence, what we do is we invest in local initiatives around the world that alleviate poverty. Um, so we really believe in the power of local people and local change makers within their communities. Um, we feel that from, it, particularly in the international realm, that coming from sort of the outside in and um, many of the dynamics with cross-culture is that um, there's sort of been a long history of, of trying to enforce ideas or uh, dump a project in a community to make a difference. Uh, so we, yeah, we believe in, in local change makers. Uh, we want to source them and find them out and, and sort of listen and learn from them and then uh, best establish a partnership that um, is going to really empower them and release them to, to do what they believe they need to do to, to bring about change rather than what the state need, thinks they need or what the um, government thinks that they need. Um, as we have seen um, with the, our um, Indigenous population, you know, they mm. believe that they needed a white person's um, way of living and that they needed many other things. So I, I love hearing this. I love the, the fact that you are asking the local people what is it that we need and um, then you're microfinancing these people in order to create... Uh, ways for them to make money in order for their community to survive. Yeah, yeah, I think you're spot on. I, you know, very quickly we we can disempower people, and um, you know, while while me, we might feel you know great and excellent about what we're doing in the process, we can really um, suppress and oppress and, and and disempower local people. So, yeah, we we hope that we are very sensitive to that, and um, yeah, really believe the best in people and believe that they can be the ones that change. One of the things that I know that you've done is you've created a documentary. Can you tell us the name of the documentary, what it's about, what you learned from the documentary and the people that um, just blew you away with what they were doing? Yeah, we've been fortunate enough to link up with incredible people um, over the past four or five years in particular and uh, a lot of the, the countries that we work are in East Africa um, and as we know they're some of the best runners in the world, they've got a real uh, talent for running and so we just kept coming across these amazing stories of some of the best runners in the world and also the, you know, the things that they're doing in their community. So we're like, we've, we've got to get, we've got to capture this um, and really invite people to be a part of their story and to hear their story. Um, so that gave us the background for the documentary. The documentary is called Running the Rift. Um, in connection with the Rift Valley there in, in Kenya and other parts of um, East Africa. And so it's really trying to capture that local story and um, we, we sort of hooked it in with the marathon running and just the beauty of, of these runners that uh, just dominate the international scene. So That's amazing. Hmm. What inspired you to, to do what you're doing? Mm. Um, look, I come from a, a faith, um, a religious background and I was fortunately exposed to a lot of different things um, internationally, a lot of people doing different types of cross-cultural work. Um, so I got to, we always had different people from different cultures coming through our house and um, just a broad range of people. So that really opened my eyes to a lot of things um, and, I, and I was privileged to travel a lot during uh, particularly the end of high school. And, and so I just really started getting interested in people's stories. I, I grew up loving sport. I come from a sport background and, um, you know, just connected with a lot of sport trips. And, and once I started hearing these, 
um, you know, incredible change makers in their community. It just sparked something in me. Um, and I also, on the flip side, saw a lot of the damage that was getting done where, um, you know, good intention and well-meaning people were, were sort of going over and dumping their ideas or um, really, you know, what they perceived to be right for that community. Um, and so, you know, I really, I really uh, just ignited a passion that, um, you know, we need to invest in the people that are, that are the right ones to bring about change. So it just took off from there. Yeah. Wow. So can we... Just just have a, a sorry, Kimmy. I've just got something about. So you're from a faith, but it, mm. I want, want you know what happened to the our indigenous people was that a faith came to Australia and took their spiritual beliefs away from them and said that this is what they should be doing. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be thinking this because that was one of the reasons why we have the stolen children is because there was this belief. Um, and it, I think it was a Christian belief that they needed to be brought up as Christians, and that they um, and that, that the Australian Aboriginals were part of the flora and fauna until 1960. Mm. Um, they weren't even part of the humanness of Australia. They were part of the fauna and fauna. So, what makes you different compared to what they were? Were they trying to enforce their um, what they wanted onto? Um, the Indigenous people around the world. You know, can you talk to us about this? Because there'll be a lot of people out there that will be just going, oh, here we go again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, for me, my personal uh, journey and, and my personal, I guess, spirituality, as you can call it, is, um, you know, I think, I think we're called to a place of being uh, humble and vulnerable and, and to view people... Um, you know, through a different light, so to speak. So it's not, I think any system, whether it's education, religion, um, different faiths, where it starts to get dumped down and enforced, that, you know, that's where we see all the damage occurred. Um, and, and it's just not believing, I guess, the best in people. So what's attracted me is, is uh, coming from a place of, of vulnerability, that I'm here to actually serve other people, not um, you know, dump or enforce ideas onto them and, and make them believe in something. So I think I think choice and freedom is is a big aspect for me. And isn't that yeah? And, and isn't that ideally what every human being is entitled to anyway? You know, I think that to to have people believe anything or follow anything out of fear is always going to bring destruction at some point. Because mm. it's not, it's never created, or it's never a following generated out of desire, or understanding, or connectedness, or oneness with what it is that they're interested in or learning. And I think that certainly by the sounds of what you're doing, Josh, you're spreading, you're spreading that light globally. Tell us about, tell us about some of the projects that you've taken on recently. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and I just agree with you and say absolutely, uh, and and it's really sad when you see the the damaging effects or people use a vehicle like um, religion or, or or other things to you know enforce ideas. Um, mm. So yeah, I just affirm that as as well. Uh, look, a lot of what we do is uh, yeah around the microfinance. We work in four key areas: um, health, education, small business, and also providing clean water. Um, so. For instance, uh, there's a community that had an idea to uh, 
uh, one of the major problems in their community was a, a lack of education for their for their children. Um, they in Kenya it's compulsory to complete pre-primary education before you get access to primary education. So while the government says it's free, uh, a lot of the young kids in, in rural areas really have trouble because they've never completed pre-primary education. So the community started a school, um, but it was very much dependent on outside funding. And uh, it's, it's a very poor community, so the average incomes of, of the families uh, don't have enough income to pay for the, for the school or the education. <laughs> So we, we started talking and dreaming with them and, and some of the ideas and expertise within the community was around fish farming um, and a goats program. So there's sort of two active, active programs at the moment that have come from within the community where they now um, are nurturing a fish farm, um, we, which we loaned the, the capital to start it up. And now the sale of that fish supports, it not only feeds and, and also helps the children learn about fish farming and um, the, you know, the, the value of fish, is, is that the sale of that now provides income for the school. So it's, it's becoming financially sustainable, I guess, by itself and not reliant on outside funding to keep going. And that's one, that's, of, your, that's one of your criteria, isn't it, that it must be self-funding? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You just you you see projects all all over the place, and I mean, this is the same here in Australia that have just uh, they just fall apart, and and often they're brilliant ideas and and brilliant you know programs um, that are really affecting change. But after one, two, three years, they you know there's no more. Um, they yeah, because that doesn't break the cycle of poverty. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's a little bit like you know, feed, um, give a fish a fa uh, give a family a fish and feed them for a, a meal, um, teach them how to fish and feed them for a lifetime. And it's a little bit like food production as well. Is teach people how to produce their own foods and you feed them for a lifetime, as opposed to them being um, seduced by the grocery stores. So um, I love I love what you're doing. It's um, it's brilliant. Could you tell us what you're doing in the health um, side of this? Yeah, well, a lot of it is emergency healthcare. So just getting access when when there's been you know children that are involved in accidents. Um, a lot of the children, because of some of the open cooking environments, which are, which are amazing actually. But a lot of a lot of the children have um, you know or have immediate burns or. Um, you know, infections in their mouth. A lot of the kids have, because of the sanitation and, and limited access to clean water, there's a lot of things that flow on from that. So we're really in the space of um, immediate healthcare um, and then resourcing and, and giving opportunities for local people to get a greater access to, to education and healthcare so they become the, the long-term implementers of health in their communities. That's amazing. <laughs> um, one of the things that I, I noticed that you said was that um, that you had the opportunity in high school to travel and see these communities and something started burning inside you. What I love about yeah. what you're doing is that you're offering scholarships to Western Australian um, students for year 11 and 12 in, in order for them to experience what you experienced. I, I think that's amazing. How does um, someone who may be listening to this... Um, mm -hmm 
get involved in the scholarship program if they're in year 11 and 12. We, you know, like we have a lot of young women who listen to us and a lot of mothers that listen to us that might want their children to get out of the Australian, I'm privileged, I want everything um, mm. and get them to see what's happening in these communities and how they live. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we've got a scholarship page on our, on our website which provides the information about you know, how we run that trip and, and a little bit different, as you said, to some of the other sort of trips that take place is we we actually want to go over and, and, and sort of shut up. You know, we tell our students that when you travel with us, it, it, you're there to listen and learn. You know, we're not there to do or to try and think that we've got the solutions as young people. We're actually there to, to listen and just and just experience these amazing cultures and um you know, and see what's taking place. So we, we want to invest in young people that have a heart and a desire to to do that, you know, as a career or um, whatever sphere of, um, you know, uh, workplace or job that they get into. How can they sort of shape that and mould it to make a difference? So we, we want to find even those young people locally to, to invest in as well. Josh, can I, I? I'm just. It's been so long since I've been able to talk. Um, <laughs> and I got to meet your gorgeous hunky self and your delicious wife this morning. And I just want listeners to know he is as gorgeous as he sounds. I'm just saying. Um, but sweetheart, what I wanted to ask you. I know that I can see that you're doing um, projects in Kenya and Nairobi and Uganda and Thailand. I often wonder with places as amazing as that that really do need our help. Um, mm. As a Kiwi living in Australia, I also notice a heck of a lot of need in this country and even New Zealand. Is there a reason why we don't do so much local or do you do local? Is there projects in place that you're working with with our own home country? Mm, yeah, great question. It's uh, it's It's on the on our mind, you know, daily and um, some of the travel that I've done within within WA and to the middle of Australia is 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 actually appalling some of the some of the conditions are, is actually worse um, than what I've seen and experienced in in some of the largest slums in the world in East Africa. So uh, I think you're hundred percent right. There are, you know, we we do have issues in our backyard and and we've got um, you know, problems and issues of injustice that we, we need to we need to start tackling locally. So um, we are, we're really interested. Um, in terms of formal projects, um, we don't, but we have long-term partners and relationships that do work in, in different communities around Australia. Um, so I think I mentioned at the breakfast this morning, Rob DeCostella and some of the amazing things he's doing with the Indigenous Marathon Project. Um, you know, we want to we partner and... Um, you know, uh, be in relationship with those type of people that have a, just a great track record um, of bringing about change. So, yeah, I think you're right. One thing we've found is when, um, you know, not everyone can go internationally and not every young person, even though it's increasing, not everyone can travel internationally and get to, you know, some of the the, the communities and slums and things, places like that that we visit. But what we're finding is the students, once they come back, um, are turning their attention locally. Um, they realise that they're not not all of them are going to go live overseas or, or or you know be involved in something international. So um, even through our scholarship and internship program, we're we're tracking with with some of these students as they go through university now, and their hearts are local. Um, you know they they want to they want to get involved with the issues locally as much as um, 
internationally. So um, it, it's also very challenging, as you, I think you mentioned before, with, the, with the, some of the government dynamics and some of the, the systematic programs that we've got in place that I, I think have done a lot of damage over the, over the past you know, 30, 40 years is we, we don't want to rush in and try and dump down a project in a community here in Australia. We want to we take our time. We want to find those change makers. And, and if that takes, um, you know, five, ten years' time, we, we want to do our due diligence with that and make sure that it's lasting change. Mm. Mm. And tell, tell me then from that perspective, as far as, you know, supporting nations, what does that do for you? As a human being, I, I loved at the beginning you talked about service. I love the fact, I, I ultimately believe as, as human beings, I always try and teach that even with my programs that we are there to serve and I never see that as an inferior position. If anything, I find it incredibly humbling. What really feeds your soul? Give, give us some of the magic moments that you get from this work because I'm imagining that there's a lot of heartache, there's a lot of you know, let down perhaps and perhaps not as much as you'd like for people. But um, give us some of the challenges but also give us some of your heartwarming, make my heart sing moments. Yeah, I mean there are those uh, gut-wrenching stories. Uh, I was in Kenya last week and uh, in an area called Ndaya out in the rift on the edge of the rift valley and we uh, were walking with some of the, the leaders in the community that um, are, are working on some of these education and, and small business programs and we'd come across uh, across homes and um, you know sort of the little village huts there where there's children as young as two and three that have just been abandoned um, you know they, they've just been left to fend for themselves um, and they might have an older brother or sister or an uncle or auntie that may, you know, may only be sort of 10, 11 years old themselves that are now the primary carers. So, um, yeah, there are those gut-wrenching stories and, and, you know, pretty challenging moments that you have and you're exposed to. But when you see a community take ownership um, and see people really released and empowered, um, I think you know, you always get those glimpses. Uh, I guess they're the magic moments. They're the things that you hang on to, which which keep you driving. And it may be something as simple as clean water being established, um, you know, or a source of clean water that the community has actually um, paid for and purchased themselves and put in place and they own and operate it. And so, you know, when you see clean water spring up in a community for the first time, I mean, those, those moments are magic. <laughs> um, they're the... The sort of things that you hold on to, yeah. Mm, I can imagine. I can imagine. And what about your wife? Like doing this together as a team is pretty, pretty exciting, and I'd imagine pretty amazing. What's what's her role, and how do you guys do this together? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know how to do it together. You got a baby coming. Let me just reframe that. Yeah. How do you guys work together so well? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I'll say we've had a baby for the last year or so because we've got a we've got a ten month old golden retriever. So oh. he he causes enough challenges for us oh. at the moment. <laughs> What's his name? A Harley. So, oh, Harley. Oh, little yeah. man. Oh. oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, little man. <laughs> <laughs> tell us. Yeah, sorry. sorry tell us about it. It's all back to your wife. Sorry. <laughs> Um, but no, Flick, yeah, Flick's great. Um, I'm really lucky to have such a beautiful wife and, um, you know, she, she really adds elements that I can't bring to the organisation and 
Um, so it, it really is together, you know, to just have that time to be able to bounce things off each other. And um, Felicity works in, in PR and communications. So that's really an essential aspect of, of connecting people in with our work. So, um, yeah, she, in, in a short sentence, she runs the whole show really. <laughs> Yeah, well, as the women usually do, let's just put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what was, re- what was really interesting is that, you know, I had breakfast with you guys and I didn't get that Felicity um, was doing anything. It wasn't until I went onto the website and I realised you were the co-founders. She's She was very humble in not, you know, she didn't say anything. So, um yeah, I find I, I find humility quite amazing, especially when we just talk about ourselves all the time, don't we, girls? <laughs> <laughs> That's enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's very, very gifted in that area. So, Yeah. Look, you mentioned um, De Costello. I really love you to talk about him. Now, you did Running the Rift and so you obviously – um, got to De Costello because of his, um, you know, because of his running. And that was what Running the Rift, your documentary, was all about. So yeah. you got to him and interviewed him and then you found out more about him. Would you like to just talk about that? Yeah, well, as you said, we had, we had just ducked over, come to this side of Australia over east to, to touch base with him and really, you know, uh, film him for... Uh, his experience running against some of you know the best runners um, when he was at his peak, because many of them being um, from Africa. So, yeah, we had a great conversation and and filmed and recorded that, and uh, then we got a bit more into the specifics of community development and international development. And he he just started sharing what what he's doing now, which is taking groups of young Indigenous people that are, some of them that have never uh, you know formally run you know, further than a K or, you know, there's a lot of them been involved in sports but, you know, haven't, haven't been a dedicated runner and to bring them together and have a common purpose of running and training to run a marathon uh, and during that give them access to opportunities um, where they have to come up creatively with, with different initiatives that they can see happening in their communities all around health um, and community development. So it's just, it, it's amazing what he's he's achieved. I love him. And, yeah. and he was running around the time of Steve Monaghetti and, um, well, actually he was like the father to Steve. Do you, is it easy to get more marathoners on board? Is it easy to encourage them to want to do that? There's a lot of good runners here in Australia. Is it something that they, that De Costello is, is trying to create around the running network here? Yeah, I, I think so. And they have such a great community pool, both um, Monaghetti and, and De Costello. So, you know, they're very charismatic and, and they draw a lot of people in. Uh, mm-hmm. It was funny when we, were, when we were interviewing them, he was, he was telling us how for the, the last Olympics that only two or three Australians met the qualifying time for, for, the, mm-hmm. for the marathon. And over in Kenya, I think they had about uh, 280 that qualified for the cutoff time so I I mean they've got a a very realistic view of how you know just so far ahead in terms of competition and and running it is so we really we really push uphill because we we want to get before we actually go out and run he was just saying you know we want to get the latest iPods and watches and shoes and and everything um 
you know, rather than just getting out and run and, and enjoy, you know, being outdoors. So. Mm. So true. It's a beautiful network, and there's something about runners. Everyone thinks they're mad, but they're actually they're actually quite nice people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and they're crack up. But yeah, both those two are hilarious. Oh, so. they've got such Josh, a good relationship. Yeah. Josh, I don't know if you realise, but Kim is um, a 24-hour runner. Oh, In wow. her her youth, she ran 24 hours, and I can never remember whether she. She got, and I think she became, was it World Kim or Australian champion and then went to the Worlds? I, I was privileged to run for Australia. I set a world record and I also set eight Australian indoor records. So, yeah, I feel very privileged and that's oh, why yeah. I'm, I'm very proud of what you're saying about the runners and their contribution back. It's pretty, it's pretty special. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing what you've achieved. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Yeah, we think she's mad actually. Actually, <laughs> 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 we, we, Josh, we um, climbed a mountain just near here um, oh, last weekend. Let's just stay with it on a high, shall we? Let's oh, just keep yeah, it on no, a high. No, I just want to show what you, you're like. So, so we climbed this mountain. It's not an easy mountain to climb. It's vertical. It is not something you hike up, you climb up it. So I can see the fear in Kim's face. I can see um, that she is... She's thinking, what the hell am I doing here? But you know what? If I had had that fear that I think I saw in her face, I would have run the other way. It's just gone down. But Kim, as determined as she was, she made it all the way to the top and all the way to the bottom, knowing that if she made it to the top, she would have to come down. Have to go so, down. yeah, I think that this is, this just shows, um, you know, feel the fear and she did it anyway and um i i uh, say i said to her, i would rather climb that mountain than run for 24 hours any day and she'd say no right. let me run for 24 hours and have to climb this bloody mountain <laughs> get me off it, it. just get me off it was there a third option? I'd probably take the third option of going for a surf. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I tell you, I this is no joke. I actually thought about jumping. I, I seriously wanted it to end. I just did not want to be there. I did not like it. <laughs> anyway, we got there. <laughs> yeah, it was good. So looking at Australia, where do you see um, that we can... Um, go to go into the communities, watch what they're doing, look for um, somebody who's a who's a leader and and, and thinking. How how can we help in this regard so that we help Australians um, as well as helping our overseas partners? Mm, yeah, it's a, a great great question. Um, I, I'd probably come back to one of our core values, which is which is relationship first. Um, and, and so it's really going in and, and forming relationships and, um, you know, the, those relationships as, as you know and sort of a lot of the, the area of expertise, uh, expertise for you three is, you know, that creates trust um, and, and once you have relationships and trust then you can uh, begin to looking at actually building and, and investing um, in those that are creating change. And, um, I mean, we, we often don't hear because we're not willing to listen. We're not re- willing to – we go with sort of the radar to, to say, oh, okay, you know, what are the problems or, or sort of highlight things that are the negatives uh, rather than just taking a step back and um, chatting with people and spending time with people. And, and often that's the hardest part because it's messy uh, and it takes time and you can't measure it. 
but I, I think relationships and trust, uh, you know, needs to form first. Mm. It's um, it's interesting that it's relationships and trust, um, and I think that's in anything that we do. So I know that. For Karen, Kim and I, mm. what mm. we do is that we form relationships and people learn to trust us and then they, they say, hey, can you teach me more? Can you help me with this? So you're right. It is about the relationship you create and the trust that, that um, you have in each other in order um, for this to, to work. Um, and I just wonder about, you know, when... Um, our indigenous populations, whether that be Australia or Africa, when the white man came, did they mm. trust them or, or were they just beaten into making changes in their lives? Um, my husband and I were having a conversation about this and, and we were having a conversation about the refugee crisis that's happening in Syria. And, mm. and his argument was, you know, if we let all these people in, they don't change their ways and they just come in and they want to, you know, build mosques and they want to do this and they don't integrate. And I said, well, what's the difference between them and what mm. we did to the Indigenous populations of Australia today? And that's the way I'm, I'm seeing things is that, I, that for some reason it, it, when people come into a land they don't want to integrate. We didn't want to integrate with the Australian um, Indigenous population. We wanted to conquer them and conquer Australia. Like look at Burke and Wills. Burke and Wills didn't care about the Australian Aboriginals and their cultures and their traditions. All mm. they wanted to do is um, conquer Australia, get to the top and come back down again. But it was to their detriment by not understanding their culture and traditions, that they actually perished um, because they didn't know how to feed themselves out in that um, the wild land of the Cooper River. Um, but if they'd listened to the, the Aboriginals and looked at their culture and tradition, they may have survived. Mm. So true. Absolutely, yeah. So I guess that's a, a question to ask is, um, you know, all of these refugees crises that we're now having. Um, for instance, um, Rwanda. I didn't know what was happening in Rwanda in 1995 and the genocide that was happening there. And was that a local thing or was that an international crisis? Well, the fact that I don't, I don't like, was I just blind to what was happening back in 1995 in Rwanda? And what about the Congo and, and Zimbabwe and all of these Places and now the modern um, problems that are happening is in Syria and Iran and, or not so much Iran but Iraq and you kind of like look at it, is that um, coming from within or is that external and what do we do and how do we help the refugees? I, I guess what I'm doing is just throwing questions at such a young, <laughs> young <laughs> man um, and, and wondering well, what, what do we do in these, yeah. in these situations? Yeah, no, I think they're very challenging, um, very challenging points and issues that you raise. And I, I actually teach a, a social justice class at a, a program I wrote um, over the last year or two uh, with with Year Ten students at a private school back in back in Perth. And um, it's quite, it's quite embarrassing actually when you've uh, put a class together, but you end up learning more from the students than. Uh, really teaching but I, I guess that's what education should be is you should be learning from each other but it, it's amazing what the, the young people as they read they 
really want to dive and get to the bottom of the issues. They don't want to just be be told or, or see the information in the media and then make up their mind. They're, um, you know, they've they've very much got that critical dialogue happening where they where they question and they're constantly you know raising issues and and want to you know dive to the depths of it. So um, even for me, that that's broadened my horizon that with a lot of these issues that we we have to just sift through it and actually get to the bottom you know it's very it's such a gl- global world you know connected um globally now that we um often only get a, a small piece of what's really going on and you know even chatting um being able to chat to you three this morning and, and meet you all just with some of the the health programs that you're involved with is you know, it's the same sort of thing. We only get a glimpse of what's taking place because it's so well marketed and, and you know, mass marketed that underneath there's, there's actually, you know, different things taking place that we need to be aware of. So I really think it comes to, to education and interest that we, we need to take the time and, and really research and, and listen to people's story to, to better understand. Josh, I've, I've got a question about all of that for you and it's, it's something that I've often thought about. You know, there's this big generational difference in terms of the way that we communicate and the way that we relate to the world. And I wonder about people in your generation and a little bit younger, especially with you working with the kids that are in year 10 and so on. Mm. I wonder how do they see the world that we've created and left behind for them? And I wonder if we are, and the older ones and our politicians and, and so on, are a barrier to freedom. You guys seem to see what we either chose not to see or, or allowed progress to be the excuse for. And it's, I, just, I just find myself curious about what's your perspective on what we've done? Mm, yeah, I, I mean, for me, I've had, I, I sort of source out and, and I want to link with as many mentors as possible. And there, so it's actually you know, people that sort of a lot older than me that have, that have opened my eyes to, to dream big and think big. So um, I, I think it can go across generations and I think the conversation is definitely, you know, taking place. But, it, yeah, young people that are, you know, in the, you know, I'm young myself, but some of the high school students, they're so aware of, of global issues. Mm. Um, and, and so I think they've been encouraged or broadened their education to think big and to, to dream big and, um, they, they really, they've got a, per, a deep personal connection with, with real life issues um, and so I think there's, there's becoming increased freedom to explore those things um, and, and you know, they just want to make a difference. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they yeah. want lives to count, they, they, want to, they want to go and change the world so yeah. Mm, and I they love that. And they find we don't like, you know, that there's not, nobody standing in their way. I think there is, and coming from the education, you know, formal education sector, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm constantly frustrated with 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 our education. I think our education system, by and large, around Australia, kills creativity. Um, you know, I mean, we're still we're sitting in a classroom. Um, the majority of schools, how we did, you know, seventy plus years ago. Um, you know, and really an edu- education system that that was designed for the industrial revolution. Mm, so sure. I, th- I think there is, yeah, there, those systems are definitely working against. But I think young people have a have a have a passion and an energy. Um, you know, and it's 
I, I think that they actually get to look at, say, three ladies like yourself who, who are doing amazing things. So that, that's what inspires people um, and, and that's often outside the classroom. Um, so uh, the, the systems are definitely there but I think there's a lot of shaking up that's taking place. So it is actually happening? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Mm. When you talked about doing social justice with these year 10s and you learning more from the students, is that because mm. it's a multicultural um, uh, class or is this Australians that are beginning to see the problems that we're, we're having? Yeah, I think a combination of, of all of that. Um, you know, the class is very multicultural. We have students from a very diverse range of back, you know, backgrounds, uh, but they they're also I'm I'm just finding when when we're you know we discuss real topics like you know immigration or asylum seekers, which was was raised a few moments ago, the students aren't set in their ways. They haven't made up, you know, what they believe to be true or right, or so they're willing to to take all views into consideration. They're willing to chop and change. They're willing to be shaped by other people. Um, so, you know, that's one of the, the, the biggest things I've learned is even as I further shape my beliefs and values and, and the way we, you know, interact in sort of the international development is that we've got to continually be open to to being sort of bounced around, I guess, like a ship in the ocean just being knocked around by the waves and, and be open to it. So the students... Uh, they have a great capacity to, to be, you know, be very open uh, to a broad range of opinions. It's good that they're open, you know, instead of shut about, um, you know, whatever the topic might be. And there's so many topics out there that we could have debates about because mm. I find that any of the adult population, and you see it on social media, are very closed-minded. They're not willing to listen that there is another side um, or even question that their belief might not be right or not be wrong. Like I know that Kim, Karen and I often will get on um, our podcast and we'll just be talking the three of us together and we'll start to question even our, our own thinking. And I mm. think that it needs to happen, that we need to not be so dogmatic about here I say, try not to be so dogmatic, and sometimes I can be very dogmatic. Um, but we do, you know, like as the older I get, the, lo the more I realise there are two sides to the story. Let's, let's be open. Let's not argue um, about it, but let's see if we can come up with a way that we can work this, this through together. Um, and, and like I said, this is in every realm from religion to health to um, how do we help communities um, to how the mind works or what type of exercise program is best for the population. And um, I, I love hearing this, that, that our youth are really keeping an open mind. Like I have no answers on asylum seekers or I really mm. don't, I feel terrible to say this, but I actually don't have an opinion about it because I'm still learning about it. Like I listen to my husband's viewpoint on it and then um, I listen to somebody else's viewpoint on it and I, I actually don't know. I, want, I just keep asking questions about it. Is, I, I often think of this, I have this altruistic thing where I think, okay, there are communities out there that would love to be still in their land 
and would love to still be living their traditional ways. Why We are such a big land here in Australia. Why can't we find areas where they can live their traditional ways, live within their communities, have their own community, grow their own food and, and have that, that whole thing in, in, um, within a, a certain area that they want to live in? And then... And then someone will say to me, but we can't do that, Cindy, because you can't lock them off into an area. <laughs> would they rather be there than in Nauru? Or I don't, I don't know. See, I'm, I'm questioning now. I'm asking um, a young man this question who's been out there and seen this. What, what do mm. we do? Yeah. Yeah. I think one, one of the things that I'm finding is, is with some issues, we're happy to sweep it away. So if we... If we end up making it a non-issue, then it's all right. I don't, I don't have to deal with it. It's too hard. It's too complex. Um, whereas, you know, the students and um, I think some of the, the generations now are, are wanting to get into that mess, you know, wanting to get into the com- complex problems and, and find out and get, you know, statistics and, um, you know, well, before we actually make a judgment call or, you know, let, let's find out, let's research, let's ask questions and speak to people that have, that have gone through, you know, varying situations. Um, but, but, yeah, the, the complexity is sometimes very overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that um, I would love to talk about is I was looking at your um, ways to donate or ways to help and I saw Pledge Your Wedding. Yeah. yeah, I actually think that that is a brilliant idea because most couples who seem to be getting married these days already have either lived by themselves and have everything. You know, once mm. upon a time, weddings were all about you came from your parents' home because you married early. You had yeah. nothing. And so the wedding presents were all about, well, I'll give you a kettle and I'll, you know, I'll get the, the slow cooker and you'll get the Thermomix, you know, what would, you know. <laughs> that's that's what we all hope but that was what wedding gifts were all about these days you don't even know what to give people for their wedding because they've been living with each other for five years they've got everything and those traditional weddings are not there so to see pledge your wedding where people can pledge money to help um, Sun Life International um, your charity I actually think it's a brilliant idea yeah you have to uh, you have to well, we have to give credit to my wife for that one. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've been married just coming up. Well, next week it'll be three years. So uh, when it came to our wedding, it was exactly that. You know, we'd um, been together for a while and we're like, we, we actually don't need, <laughs> you know, we don't need all this stuff or, you know, we, we have what we need. So how can we sort of link it? So it's from that that um, Felicity really wanted to put it out there and, uh, you know, some, some couples have really picked up picked up on it and said, you know, we, we'd love to. We'd, we, we were thinking about our gift registry or, you know, but we have most of the stuff we need. So, yeah, it's just a really, you know, it, it actually invite, invites people into the story as well, which we think is really important and powerful. Well, I have some more suggestions for you. You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Pledge birthday, pledge Christmas, pledge Easter, pledge Father's Day, pledge your Mother's Day. I just Pledge think- your mother. <laughs> These are good. I'm writing these down, by the way. So <laughs> yeah, I just think it's your birthday. I would love. I don't need anything. I have enough stuff. I'm I'm one of those people that I hate stuff. I don't want anything else. I'd be happy for you 
um, to pledge for my birthday um, to your charity. So I, I just I want you to know that I like stuff. I, I do like a little <laughs> bit of stuff. So, but I would still love to tra- contribute to your charity. <laughs> it's all about balance. That's really what you're saying there. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and the other thing is, like, Father's Day has come and gone. And um, we asked my husband, um, what would you like for Father's Day? And he said, I don't want anything. I just want you around me, you know, the kids around him. So um, we had a, a fire last night and we just sat around the fire chatting. Um, we invited a couple of other fathers to come, like my father, and we had the beautiful Cole Ainscoe come with us, um, as well as Talon. And we just sat around the fire, an old-fashioned thing that we just don't do, and we chatted for nearly three. I think we started the fire at four, and about 8.30 everyone started yawning and saying, let's go home. But I just think that I, in this day and age in Western society, and not all Australians, because as you've talked about, you've seen in places in Australia poverty worse than what you've seen in Africa. Mm. But I, I love your idea of Pledge the Wedding and let's just add on now the birthday, the Father's Day, the Mother's Day and Christmas and, and um, Easter, okay? <laughs> I think that's a terrific idea. Valentine's Day too, throw it in there. Oh, yeah, Valentine's Day. Nice, Karen. Yeah, 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 I think so. I think so. It it reminds me a little bit of when um, one Christmas my stepmother bought me um, chickens. Now, they weren't my chickens, but they went to a beautiful charity. Well, it was to buy chickens for a village in Africa. And I don't know, there was this really beautiful feeling that I got that that was, I don't know, I think it's a really beautiful idea. I think you're onto something here, guys. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, I think, I think about my birthday. I'm just thinking about this now. For my birthday, I actually tell my family to either um, buy dog food, take it to the local RSPCA, or donate to the RSPCA and give me the receipt. Let that be my yeah. birthday present. And then every year on my birthday, I fill my car with food and bones and toys and blankets, and I fill the back of my car, and that's my present to me for the animals. Says the vegan. Says the vegan. That's uh-huh. right. That's right. Yeah, that's it absolutely it. me up. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that makes me feel like my life's worth living, and I donate twenty percent of my earnings to the to um, World Society for the Protection of Animals. So it was one of the reasons why I went into business was because I thought I can't see a hurt animal, but I can pay people who can help them. You know. And I think that when people are contributing to a cause bigger than themselves, then it gives such meaning to everything that they do. Like it gives meaning to why they get up and go to work. It gives meaning to why they would celebrate their birthday with extra compassion or would be more present on a Father's Day because everybody knows that they've, gone to, they've, they've put their money towards making somebody's life a little easier. I think it brings us to, to a much deeper sense of connectedness with one another where we really actually become very present to the potency of the day or the message of the day even and, and what it's all for perhaps and as opposed to just ripping down, buying a mug that says, I love you, Dad, mm-hmm. handing it over and then getting on with the day and it's just like a normal day. I think that there's more potency to the day when it's a day about giving but giving beyond what we're marketed to and promoted to and conditioned to do, giving outside of that. I think that's 
It's very beautiful. I feel very, I feel very melancholy right now. <laughs> mm. Hey, Josh, could you tell us um, how do people find um, you and uh, if they are really interested in maybe becoming a partner or donating their birthday gift or their wedding gift or can you um, just talk about your website, if you are on Facebook, what your social media is? Could you explain that? Yeah, yeah. so our website's sunlifeinternational.org. Uh, so that's and a that's great... Yeah, S-O-N, lifeinternational.org. So that's a a great way to sort of start to connect and, um, you know, you can contact us um, um, through that. Um, Me personally, I'm just starting to get into the Instagram and those sort of things. I've probably been a bit behind the trend actually. So, um, but yeah, uh, we've got Sun Life International also on Facebook, which you can follow along and and get updates. But we'd we'd love to hear from people. So, yeah. or even personal email Josh at sunlifeinternational.org. So, and if you're in Perth, listening from Perth, where we're based, we've got a great little social enterprise, a, a cafe that we've recently bought and taken over to sort of become our mum, main fundraiser. So that's Halo Expresso down in South Perth. There. Oh, what a beautiful Josh, name! Josh, 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 talk about the new food that you've created. Like, I'd really like our listeners to hear your your idea around this new food. Share it with us, my friend. The new food down at the cafe or? Mm-hmm. The new one that we were talking about this morning. Yeah, new- yeah. <laughs> so we were recently at a, a conference in Melbourne and, and came across cruffins, uh, uh, which is a mix oh. between croissants and muffins. And then they've got, uh, it's an amazing chef actually from pastry chef out of France that's come over and, and done a lot of work with some cafes there. And then there's the cronuts as well. So it's uh, croissants in the shape of a, a donut. Um, so we were thinking of merging all three and calling them uh, Cruff Nuts. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so I, think, I think it was Kim. Uh, I think it was Kim that sort of laughed and said, "Well, thanks for giving me a new nickname for um, my son." So Cruff <laughs> Nut. I love it. Uh, true that. True that. No, um, so I think it's wonderful. But Josh, if you could sum up your life to what you think your purpose is. I know service is big to you, but why do you think you were put on this planet? Um, I think to really leave uh, the people I come into contact with and areas that I, you know, get to work in better than what they were before um, in in a small way. So um, if I can leave some sort of legacy like that, I I think that's what we're we're here for, designed and created for. Oh, beautiful. Oh. No wonder you're such a gem. No wonder your wife adores you. <laughs> yeah. How magical. And tell us when the bubba's due. Yeah, in March. So, yeah, you know, it's early days at the moment. So, but no, we're pretty excited. So, yeah, early in March. I'd- I didn't tell any horror stories this morning about birth or anything. <laughs> oh, thank goodness, Kim. <laughs> yeah, no, I did a little bit, didn't I? Sorry, I forgot. I didn't realise your wife was pregnant at the time she was dying. <laughs> oh, you didn't. You didn't. Please tell me you didn't. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, let's Josh, just, Josh, let's, let's just um, let those two talk. Now, what I've, I've just gone on Facebook and I found you on Facebook. What's your Instagram account? Because you're not on Sun Life International on Instagram. What is it? 
Uh, it's JJ Bond. So. Oh, so it's a private one? Yeah, so a private one. Thousands of people, that's your private one? Oh, yeah, no. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, most of what most of what I post there is connected to the to the work. So, yeah, it's beautiful. Okay. I'm just so privileged to have you. <laughs> yes, definitely. I think so, it's Jake, such an honour. Sorry, sorry, Cindy. I just wanted to okay. say, as an inspiration for young people, did we actually ask your age? Yeah, thirty. So. Yeah. So, so for your generation coming through, just. The, the sheer thought that there is people that care. I remember Cindy asking Sally Fallon, um, a beautiful woman who wrote the book Nourishing Traditions. She asked, she she asked her, was she concerned about the future, our future, and the and the planet as a whole? And Sally's answer was, well, you know, I can. How did she word it, Cindy? I can only contribute what I can. But really, at the end of the day, those that really care are the ones that are going to last, the ones that are going to make it. And I just think to hear your someone in, in their thirties who is inspiring the teenagers and into their twenties—that service is a huge part in this y, X Y generation where everything's instant and everything's about what else can I get for me. I really do feel so much hope knowing that there are people like you that really have a beautiful marriage, have a beautiful outlook have a beautiful concept of what it means to be present on this planet. And, you know, just publicly I want to say here, 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 here to you, my friend. It's, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's been great great to be here and I, I feel very fortunate to connect with you three as well. So, mm. I think you summed that up beautifully for us, Kimmy. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah, what a treat, what a treat. Mm. So hopefully everybody who's been listening to today's show, you guys are going to track down the beautiful Josh and start to follow him and think about all of the things that we've spoken about today in terms of how you can make your occasions in your life and in your year a little more meaningful. I think that would be pretty damn cool. Mm. Yeah. So if you guys want to find out um, how you can track down Josh, obviously we've gone through all of those um, contact details for you. And Kim and Cindy are going to tell you how you can track them down as well. So to start, I'm going to let you guys know if you want to track me down, if you want to um, engage with me a little bit more, by all means, I'd love to hang out with you. So you can find me at allthews.karensmith.com and you can also get me at Facebook, um, allthews.facebook.karensmith. Yeah. Karen Smith is the extension on my Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, so by all means, reach out to me. We've got, um, we've got Speakers Fast Track coming up in mid-November. So for everybody who's keen to get their message out to the world in a much more profound way and to be able to reach more people and make a difference in more people's lives, no matter what it is that you want to share, then Speakers Fast Track is the way to go for you. Also, Mindset Mastery is the next biggest thing. So I've been running Mindset Mastery for about five, six years, and we're opening them up to the general public as of March next year. It's going to be on the Gold Coast. So if you're interested to find out a little bit more about that, spending three days down the rabbit hole with me personally, that's where you want to go. So track me down, all the W's, And 
And to finish up, I just want to say, Kaz, on that note, I know we get asked all the time how people can connect with us a little bit more personally, which is why we're adding this into the to the podcast. But your mindset mastery and your speakers fast track to me catapulted my level of speaking and the way in which I share my story. And I just think it's a phenomenal program that I would not ever underestimate attending. Um, just for those interested, I have my new Aroma Living program being launched in November. The biggest thing I have coming up is we've got the last few days of our beautiful seven-day sensory retreat in the beautiful Byron Bay in October. There's a few spaces left on that. And also in October, we launch our new health and lifestyle educator intake. So I'm really excited to be promoting and endorsing that. Any information, go to www.28.com. And for me, I just want to endorse both of you as I just, uh, I've done all your programs, you know that, and I use everything that you talk about. That's why we're together is that mm. we're friends that um, support each other. But to, in order to find um, my, myself, I'm at changinghabits.com.au. Uh, and what um, you can sign up for now, and it's not till February, is the education program, which is a 12-month nutrition education program. And you end um, with becoming a mentor with Changing Habits and making a ripple effect within your community, which is what Josh has been talking about. We need mm. leaders in our community. We need people. And it's, in Australia, it's just as important as around the world. We need leaders to teach people how to get out of the the way that they're consuming foods, which is packaged foods, which is unethical, um, bad for our, our well-being, bad for our health physically and mentally. So I believe the education program is something that, um, you, you know, if you want to make a ripple effect in your community with regards to health, um, just go to the education um, banner on my Changing Habits website. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's changing ha changing. I think it's changing underscore habits um, and of course um, my Facebook is changing habits so uh, we've like Kim said we've added this to our, our podcast as of today so that you know what we're up to and what we're doing and what conferences we're up to and we'll update you um, with what we're doing fantastic well I think it's important though isn't it I think it's important that everyone knows how they can reach out to us and actually know that we're real people and they can get to us. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Fantastic. Well, this is awesome, awesome stuff. So thank you so much for joining us on the show, Josh. You've been amazing. And for everybody listening to the show, if you want to go to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat, you can pop all of your questions and your comments there for us. And we love to hear from you. So thank you everybody for tuning in today. We've loved sharing the show with you. It's been an absolute hoot and a treat. Join us here next week on Up for a Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We're going to hang out with you on the ride. Bye for now, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.